from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. This is the 55th edition of an event which started in the early decades of the Cold War. The Munich Security Conference is the most important of its type anywhere in the world. And in 2019, it took on an even more important role. With Russian aggression, turmoil in the EU family, Iran and North Korea making waves, lingering wars and the threat of new ones. On this episode of Target USA, we're here in Munich, Germany to recap what happened at this conference. We raised the question, who would pick up the pieces of what increasingly has become uh, perceived as a broken international order? And at this conference, instead of harmony, some speakers were less interested in putting the pieces together than creating more disarray. And we take a look behind the scenes and get an unvarnished look at what was really going on. People are making statements and talking past each other. What happened? at the Munich Security Conference. Will it work? And will it make a difference? Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. What you hear are the church bells pealing at the Teatina Kirch Catholic Church here in Wittelsbacher Platz, just a couple of blocks away from the Bayerischer Hof Hotel. That's where the Munich Security Conference took place. For more than a half century, The world's top leaders have come here for this conference. It's the most important conference of its type anywhere in the world. And in 2019, this conference took on even more importance. In the midst of Britain's historic divorce from the EU, Russia's aggressive global political interference and harassment of Ukraine, worries about nuclear weapons, the future of NATO, and the Justice Department investigation into the 2016 elections, and the Trump campaign, it was the scene of unprecedented attendance and some simply stunning developments. More than 600 high-level international decision-makers from politics, business, academia, and civil society, along with throngs of media, gathered in Munich for what was arguably the most important gathering in the 55-year history of the conference. The U.S. delegation included an unprecedented 153 people. Among those in attendance was former California Congresswoman and current president of the Wilson Center, Jane Harmon. I ran into her on the street outside of one of the venues, and she gave me a blunt assessment of what was going on. Well, I think there are two conferences going on. One is the conference conference, and the other is the the sidebar meetings. 
And in the conference conference, people are making statements and talking past each other, uh, even from the same countries of mine. And in the side meetings, people are talking to each other. And so I just came from one uh, talking about the nuclear threat, including the cyber threat. Mm -hmm. And there are Russians in the room, and there's a conversation going on in there. Uh, A passionate statement by John Kerry, very solid statement by Sam Nunn, etc. And then you go to the conference conference, and you have Mike Pence's statement and Lavrov's statement, which I didn't hear this year. I've heard it in past years. And uh, their uh, Merkel statement and so forth. And uh, I think the world needs a lot more conversation and a, and a lot fewer speeches. Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends of the Munich Security Conference. She mentioned three speeches. The one from Vice President Pence, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, and Russian Prime Minister Sergei Lavrov. So here are some brief excerpts from each of them that will hopefully paint a picture for you of what Harman meant when she said there need to be less speeches and more conversations. Angela Merkel talked about the importance of NATO. The Berlin Wall fell um, just um, almost uh, 30 years ago. The Cold War ended. Um, We talked at the time about, um, well, do we still need NATO today? We need, oh yes, we do need NATO as an anchor of stability on the stormy sea. We need it as a community of shared values because we we should never forget that NATO was founded not only as a military alliance, but as an alliance of nations that share values, that share uh, the same values as regards human rights as regards democracy, uh, guidelines that we all share. Reading between the lines, inside Merkel's speech, it was a clear reference to questions President Donald Trump raised a couple of years ago about whether NATO was necessary. While there were questions about his commitment to NATO, Vice President Mike Pence has said several times the U.S. is committed to NATO. But he made it clear at the 2019 Munich Security Conference That commitment comes with a cost. President Trump has also been leading our NATO allies to renew their commitment to our common defense. And we've seen extraordinary progress. At President Trump's urging in the past two years, the number of NATO members spending at least 2% of their GDP on defense has doubled. And the majority of NATO members now have plans in place to meet their financial obligations by 2024. As Secretary Jen Stoltenberg has said, thanks to President Trump's leadership, NATO has seen, quote, real money and real results. When I was at this conference two years ago, I remember a meeting I had with a leader of one of our NATO allies. He was very candid with me. He told me he was worried that Our new administration might represent a moment where America would pull back from our commitments. I remember he said that Europe needed America to be the leader of the free world. I told him I respected his opinion and I appreciated his candor. And then I told him that when you hear President Trump ask our NATO allies to live up to the commitments they've made to our common defense, That's what we call being leader of the free world. The truth is, many of our NATO allies still need to do more. And the United States expects every NATO member to put in place a credible plan 
to meet the 2% threshold. And by 2024, we expect all our allies to invest 20% of defense spending on procurement. With that renewed strength, America and our allies have stood strong. The members of the NATO alliance say the organization is absolutely critical. A perfect example of why is what took place in eastern Ukraine in 2014, when Russia annexed Crimea. Another example happened in November last year, when 24 Ukrainian sailors and their vessels were captured by the Russian Navy. Another provocation, another overt act of aggression, something Russia's unapologetic about. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov spoke at the conference, and speaking through a translator, he accused the West of taking a wrong turn after the Cold War, suspending what he referred to as agreements to work together. With your permission, I'll speak, speak in Russian. After the end of the Second World of, of the Cold War, these noble plans had every chance to succeed, but unfortunately, they did not go beyond good intentions. The choice was made in favor of a NATO-centric approach and the logic master-slave. Illegitimate bombings of Yugoslavia, its dismemberment, and unilateral recognition of Kosovo's independence, which for the first time changed the state borders after the Second World War on the continent, the support of a military coup d'etat in Kiev, the unheedless expansion of NATO and placement of U.S. missile defense in Europe, the refusal of the European Union to adopt Moscow and Brussels' decision to introduce mutual visa-free regime, the discrimination of Russian deputies in the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, those are all links of the same chain. I can add that between Russia and the European Union, there were officially adopted roadmaps in place to form four common spaces from economy and justice to science and education. But those roadmaps were mostly forgotten and no one remembers about them and no one even talks about working towards implementing them. However, they were negotiated on the highest level. The same can be said about the obligations not to strengthen your security by sacrificing the security of others. This was also adopted on the highest level in the OSCE documents in the, and in the Russia-NATO Council. And this has not only been forgotten, but it's been flagrantly violated. So what is the outcome? The United Europe has not been built. A great capacity of cooperation between Russia and EU and uh, its advantages are not being tapped into. Such challenges uh, from the elimination of terrorism to ensuring sustainable economic growth has not been answered properly. The Europeans have allowed themselves to be dragged into a pointless confrontation with Russia, thus suffering multi-billion losses from the enforced um, sanctions enforced from across the ocean. The world keeps changing rapidly. There was a lot of tension in those remarks, and those are only a few of the many conversations and speeches that took place during the three-day conference. We asked again, Jane Harmon, president of the Wilson Center, for her assessment of what took place and what could possibly come out of it. Do you get the sense from the meetings that you've had with people and the folks in the conversations that you know 
that anything is going to change as a result of this conference because this is known as one of the big backroom discussion places. It's, it's right in the middle. It's hard to know. You have to maybe ask me that or ask somebody else that in a week mm-hmm. uh, because it's in full flight and there, there are more speeches to come. Biden's on this afternoon. So I, I don't know how to assess it yet. Um, I just hope there's more conversation mm-hmm. and, uh, and less speech. And that's been a criticism of, of this conference and others for years. Um, to his credit, Wolfgang Issinger, who organizes this conference and who was a very able German ambassador to yes. the U.S. when I was in Congress, uh, tries to have more discussion. And he personally interviews folks from different countries. Um, but there are, uh, you know, very big shots here, and they want their time yeah. uh, making their points. And so yeah. um, I think it's useful to have it. Uh, it's summer in Munich for some reason. Every other year it's snowed or rained. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, climate and I change, maybe. Climate change, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I want it to work. I, okay. I care as passionately now as I did years ago about uh, people working uh, out problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, one side doesn't have all the monopoly on the wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. You've got to mix it up okay. and listen to each other. What is your greatest concern at this point? accidental war using very lethal weapons. That's the conversation I was just listening to. I had to go out and get a little sun, sunshine before going back into it. Uh, but we have very lethal weapons that can get into the hands of rogue actors. Uh, it's usually true that people who head countries are pretty rational. But if people think that being martyrs is the way to uh, get to heaven faster and they're totally prepared to die, and they have some of these lethal weapons, whether they're tactical nu- nukes or they are cyber weapons that can, uh, you know, it, it basically stop our, 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 our grids that manage uh, uh, airplanes or electricity uh, or can unleash bioweapons or, uh, I'm scaring myself, uh, all of this stuff, um, we're in deep trouble. And, and the risk of accidental or intentional use of weapons by by rogue actors is is real. Herman's concerns were noted with a great deal of reciprocal concern by other attendees of the conference. That's a part of the deep worry that's permeating U.S. efforts to talk Russia back into compliance with the INF Treaty. And here's why it's so important, not to get too far into the weeds, but nine years ago, right here at the Munich Security Conference, Sergei Ivanov, a top diplomat from Russia, obviously with Vladimir Putin's blessings and his authority, spoke, and he said this, quote, Now in Munich, we have an opportunity to give mankind a much-awaited signal that the Global Zero idea is not just an empty phrase. Let's meet the challenge. The Global Zero movement is an effort to have no nuclear weapons anywhere in the world. But in 2018... Vladimir Putin did something that was a clear signal that Russia is no longer committed to that movement. And Richard Burt, former U.S. ambassador to Germany, put Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rybakov on the spot at this conference when he asked him a very pointed question. So I have to ask you, sort of in 2019, watching what's happened with INF and the uncertainty surrounding New START, What the hell has happened from a Russian perspective? 
How have Russian attitudes, views changed? And I ask you that from this backdrop of, of watching that uh, press conference that President Putin gave a year or so ago with his cartoons of all the brand new, fancy Russian strategic weapons, long range torpedoes, m nuclear fueled cruise missiles. What's happened and how do you explain it? On the first question on our attachment to the idea of comprehensive and complete nuclear disarmament, nothing has changed. In fact, this is a legal obligation for Russia as well as for all other countries, parties to the non-proliferation treaty, according to Article 6, to move forward towards complete nuclear disarmament in the context of comprehensive and complete disarmament as such. So there is no division between that time and now, no difference between the position which uh, at that time Minister of Defense Ivanov gave and that of the position that Russia takes and continues to promote today. The second question is uh, about what happened since that and last year where President Putin, uh, not at a press conference, but in his address to the Federal Assembly, presented a series of new kinds of strategic weapons under development in Russia. What preceded this was uh, the George W. Bush's administration to withdraw from uh, the ABM Treaty, uh, to which I believe some of the prominent figures in this administration, in the Trump administration, also played a role. Uh, and then it's widely known that um, under several meetings between President George W. Bush and President Putin, from the Russian side a question was given, uh, what do you, you President of the US, believe we should do after this to rebalance the system, to once again come back into the strategic stability? And the answer was more or less do what you want because the ABM system which US builds it's not about Russia, it's not about anything but a few countries uh, that were allegedly threatening uh, the United States, so do what you want. And uh, the outcome is exactly how it was advised by President George W. Bush. Uh, what is being developed and is under development is the product of the U.S. unilateral withdrawal from the ABM Treaty. Uh, we have managed this. Now, after the forthcoming U.S. unilateral withdrawal from the INF Treaty, we will need to see how to rebalance the whole system once again. What Ribokov basically said was the U.S. left Russia no choice but to get out of the treaty. But when Under Secretary of State for Arms Control Andrea Thompson got her turn to rebut his arguments. Here's what she said. The U.S. didn't violate the treaty, and NATO has been consistent with that as well. When we made the announcement in December, when the Secretary made the announcement that Russia is in material breach, 
We continue to abide by our obligations under the treaty. You've probably all read the very strong statement from the NATO uh, senior leaders, all 29 members, uh, in December, and then again in February. So we, we didn't leave the treaty. We abided by the treaty. We continue to meet our obligations under the treaty. So with Russia material breach, you're right. We, we are ta now talking next steps. We have about five and a half, four months uh, for, for Russia to, to get back into compliance. Based on trends uh, and patterns of analysis, I, I don't see that happening. Later in the conference, we had a chance to sit down with Thompson and ask her where things stood with Russia, and particularly about Ribikov's comments blaming the U.S. for scuttling the INF Treaty. Well, you know, the, the audience recognizes that, that Russia is in violation. We talked much about the INF Treaty, which I anticipated a little bit about the New START Treaty. Um, but underlying uh, the foundation of that was upholding their obligations. So it was, it was a good exchange. It was a diverse mix of opinions uh, and continued to emphasize the important role that NATO plays in this with our partnership. Uh, saw the strong statement from the Secretary General, um, strong statement from NATO members. So it was pretty consistent in the, in the messaging there. Uh, again, always a good opportunity, though, to talk to my Russian counterpart. Uh, I think there's a perception that we're not having discussions or dialogue, and we are. Well, part of that perception was the words that came out of Mr. Ribikov's mouth. But I'm interested in hearing what you have to say about what seemed to be some pretty pointed accusations by Mr. Ribikov. Well, his accusations are consistent. They're all, all uh, in error. Uh, we, we continue to push back. We've had engagements uh, where they call out our systems and say that we're in violation of the treaty. And I told them, I said, in every engagement I've had in almost a year, it'll be a year in April that I've been undersecretary, not one person that I have met with said, no, Russia's, Russia's uh, upholding their obligations. So I called Sergey out a little bit and it said, you know, you continue to bring these accusations against the United States. Not one partner has said that the United States is violating the treaty. Were you able to engage officially with him uh, uh, during this uh, trip? We didn't have a bilat. Uh, we talked a few minutes uh, before the panel and for a very brief uh, a couple of minutes after the panel, uh, but no bilat, formal bilat. As you heard former Congresswoman Jane Harmon say earlier in this podcast, it's most likely those private conversations that may yield more results after this conference as opposed to the speeches in public. We focused a lot on NATO and Russia, but other things were taking place, and Thompson talked about one of the engagements she had on cyber. It was a, a great panel. It was a very good mix with the private industry leaders, uh, in the tech field, uh, key partners and uh, think tank, uh, and some academics. So the, the takeaway is we recognized that uh, the cyber policy isn't keeping up with technology. And what do we need to do collectively uh, to get those discussions? Uh, there was a standing room only in the, one of the side, side salons. Uh, so the other takeaway is we, I, I think this needs to be a, you know, a main issue for uh, hopefully next year's conference in the main in the main hall. There's a great exchange of information between private industry and what the governments can do to ensure that that digital economy moves freely, but that we keep bad actors out of our infrastructure. So what were the steps to take? Uh, were there any? There were. We talked about uh, 5G and a lot of discussions on Huawei, uh, China state-funded uh, companies and how they're, they're expanding their reach within uh, here in Europe. Uh, we're working closely with them, sharing information intelligence with, with our counterparts uh, here in Europe. And so you're seeing increased uh, pushback on those efforts, again, recognizing that it's, it's a threat to their infrastructure if you let these actors in. 
Could you give me your assessment of this conference, the importance of it, why so many Americans were here? Well, it's, it's always an important conference to be right. This year had the largest uh, U.S. delegation. Uh, the partnership with our transatlantic alliance is important. It continues to be important and strong, and I think it's a telling indicator on how many Americans were at this conference this year on how important that relationship is. The NATO alliance, our NATO unity, uh, we talked about that as, as Russia continues to try to drive a wedge in that. So I think that the footprint of the American delegation is a telling indicator on how important this relationship is. The view of the U.S. from here at this conference, there are a number of people that quietly, privately, certainly not publicly, again expressed concern about whether the U.S. is going to be there for them. There were some Americans who publicly tried to assuage any concerns, um, but how do you reconcile with these continuing concerns about will the U.S. be there with the work you have to do? I think you know, always presence and leadership matters. Uh, the fact, again, that, that we're here with that large delegation is we're, we're here, we're having those engagements, we're having those discussions. Um, I, I think uh, it's a conference where the candor, and I think that's healthy, and having those conversations, and as you, as you give folks an opportunity to ask questions and clarify it, and that's what made a difference, I think, this week. One of the key stakeholders at this conference was Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, and he has a fairly unique perspective because he's one of the few... U.S. lawmakers that's actually gone to Russia to engage with Russian officials about U.S.-Russia issues. And we spoke with him, again, on the street, because that was the easiest place to catch up with people during this conference because of all the security about his interactions with Russians and this conference. Senator, what have you heard here, and what do you think of what you've heard at this conference? Well, the overriding theme is how important NATO and our alliances are to really world security, to world peace and security. And that's uh, demonstrated by the largest congressional delegations ever shown up at the Munich Security Conference. Uh, but I think it's also reinforced by every speech you, you hear. We, we all realize it is the adherence to our principles uh, that, that drives world peace and security. And that's why we're together as alliances. So again, it's, it's just really that unity of purpose that is the, the overriding theme here. Senator, one of the things that's happening in some of the side conversations I hear and some of the people I've spoken to is this concern about Russia and Russia's presence and what Russia has done or tried to do to Europe, dividing, et cetera. What are your thoughts about that concern? Well, it's a legitimate concern. Uh, ever since they invaded Georgia back in 2008, and then the invasion of uh, Crimea, and then the invasion of eastern Ukraine, and you know, the most recent example is uh, the and what they did by capturing three Ukraine, Ukrainian vessels in the Kerch Strait. So uh, I've certainly been aware of, of their malign uh, misbehavior and uh, their malign intent. And I think most Europeans are have as well. But I think people, people do find it shocking at how, how bold and aggressive Russia is becoming. And we need to counterbalance that. You went to Russia recently. Um, what was your impression? What did they say to you? How did they deal and react with you when you were there? Uh, it, it, it wasn't a very satisfactory uh, response, quite honestly. I mean, we, we went there uh, genuinely trying to establish some relationships, particularly on a parliamentary to congressional level, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to be good. I think, you know, head of state communications are important, ministerial, secretarial communications, but let's face it, it's the legislators and parliamentarians that sometimes are in their positions for years and can be 
you know, provided a fair amount of consistency to relationships. So it'd be nice if we could find some willing partners in, in Russia where we could have some of that dialogue. Uh, but that's all it would be is the beginning of the dialogue. And once we left, some of the, the comments from members of the Duma weren't encouraging. So right. it's, it's unfortunate. We went out there with the best of intentions. Uh, I would say that we were somewhat spurned. Oh, that's too bad. Any, uh, any final thoughts you'd like to add about what you hope the future brings? as a result of this conference and all of the discussions that are going on about all of the issues that need to sure. be dealt with. Well, again, we're, we're ser- taking very seriously Russia's aggression, but we're also in a lot of discussions in terms of what China's doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our whole telecommunications, uh, uh, cyber security, uh, the supply chain management risks that we take if, uh, our, for example, our NATO partners uh, get involved with Chinese equipment uh, could really put interoperability at, at risk. Senator, thank you. Thank you. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. As I mentioned, many other topics were discussed at the Munich Security Conference, and there will be, no doubt, more follow-up on all of those issues. It's not clear what shape the follow-up will take. It's also not clear if it will matter, especially as it relates to arms control, because Russia appears to be locked in on what it wants to do. And speaking of Russia, one note to pass on. Today, February 20th, 2019, President Vladimir Putin, while addressing the Federal Assembly, said Moscow is very close to commissioning a new hypersonic missile, a telling assessment of where Russia stands on arms control. But the most compelling comment from Putin came when he said Moscow will attack any missiles the U.S. places in Europe and in a direct threat to the U.S., he said they will also target the USA. There was no comment from the State Department on the matter. Coming up in the next episode of Target USA. When the Ebola virus penetrated the U.S. in 2014, that was the dawn of a new reality for Americans. Horrible, contagious diseases can break out here. We were lucky in 2014, but what happens if a disease like the plague or Black Death broke out and began to spread? It's a horrible pandemic that killed hundreds of millions in the past. And it, like other devastating diseases, could rise again. And it could happen anywhere. And former U.S. Senator Sam Nunn, co-chair of the Nuclear Threat Initiative, along with Dr. Beth Cameron, vice president of Global Biological Policy and Programs for that same organization are going to join us on our next episode to tell us about the disturbing results of a tabletop exercise they performed at the Munich Security Conference, and they'll talk about the plague, once again breaking out somewhere in the world. That's it for this episode of Target USA. If you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskey, tango, Oscar, papa, wtop.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Thank you again, sincerely, for joining us And if you have any tips to pass along to us, please do so. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.
Celebrity Big Brother is back, and we've got recaps of every single episode here on Rob as a Podcast. So whether you watch for the epic blindsides or for the insanity, like Ricky Williams giving a colon massage to a constipated Cato Kalin, yes, that happened. Check out our Celebrity Big Brother coverage on Rob as a Podcast on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, or the Podcast One app. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.